Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing through the book of Job. We'll be finishing chapter 7 today, and we've been working through um, the tail end of Job's response to Eliphaz, which has been very painful, very, um, it's very anguished that there, there's a lot of problems, and one of the things with Job is there is a, as I, I've said before, there, there's a pastoral problem, and I don't mean that because I'm a pastor, I mean that from a point of shepherding, from a point of finding that practical directive content um job is a lot of problems <clears throat> job does not stop and give us the hope in job chapter 7 he gives us problems he gives us complaints he laments he he's very honest he's brutally honest about how he's doing how he's feeling inside and he doesn't really default to what he's doing in light of that. It's just bleh. It just kind of vomits out all of this anguish. And so the problem with Job, um, whether you are a pastor or just just a layperson like me reading this book, there's not a lot of hope. Um, and so you, ha you really do have to look elsewhere. Um, to find hope in the book of Job, you have to read other books. More often than not, it seems. But let us see what God would have us to, to find in the book of Job. So picking up in verse 17, going all the way to the end, What is a mere human that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Will you ever look for, away from me or leave me alone long enough to swallow? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, watcher of humanity? Why have you made your tar me your target, so that I have become a burden to you? Why not forgive my sin and pardon my iniquity? For soon I will lie down to the grave, and you will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. So right off the bat, we have this question, what is a mere human? And some of us may recognize that from the Psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him? nor the, or the son of man that thou regardest him. But here, 
um, it's a different picture. You know, in the Psalms, we have this this statement from a, coming from a place of awe of who God is. When I consider the sun and the moon and the work of thy hands, what is man that thou art mindful of him? But here, it's it's cynical. If we just back up a couple verses, when I say my bed will comfort me and my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I prefer strangling death rather than life in this body. I give up. I will not live on forever. Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. What is a mere human that you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? It's it's very negative. It's very cynical. Why do you care so much, God? Again, Job is essentially saying, leave me alone. Why do I matter? If if God is so big, says Job, if God is so big and I am so small, why does God concern himself with me? And in some ways, that is the question we see in the Psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him? While it's, it's a different inflection there, it's the same question at its core. What is man? And honestly, a lot of what we see in human history between literature and philosophy and what it, all these topics is that is kind of a core question. What is man? Who are we? If we go to Hebrews 2, verse 6, we see this idea fleshed out a little bit as well. Talking about Jesus, uh, the writer of Hebrews puts, For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about, but someone somewhere has testified, and he quotes the Psalms, What is a man that you remember him? or the son of man, that you care for him. You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he says, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God gave me. So there, there's a lot to unpack there. But the reality is, as we look for Christ in Job, it's hard. Because while we know that he is in the pictures, that the pictures are a promise of Christ, that he is the types and shadows of the Old Testament, I think there are times where Christ is portrayed through what people are not. That Christ is exalted in some ways through 
the fact that he is not Jonah, that he is a better Jonah, the prophet who runs away. He is not the prophet that runs away, but he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And likewise, I think with Job, there are times where Job is a sort of the antitype, if you will, that he is kind of the antithesis of the character of Christ, because Job suffered. But so far, his suffering, his response to that suffering has been with, has been cynical. That his sufferings have been met with cynicism, and honestly, borderline nihilism. And he has said some things that are not entirely true about God, about the grave. That he has, he's not handled this well. And while there's um, justification to be given. <laughs> with his circumstances, and God doesn't outright chastise him for what he says. But Job, Job does not remain sinless in this. But Christ willingly subjected himself to suffering to bring many sons to glory, to make us his own. And so what is man? We have to look at that statement in light of Job and Jesus. Because God is so big and so powerful and so good that we are a drop in the bucket. We are vapor, as it says in Ecclesiastes. But also, what is man that thou art mindful of him? For he made Christ to be lower than the angels. Why that he would make us his children? We have to take those two together somehow. And one of the challenges with Job is... Is that true? What is a mere human you think so highly of him and pay so much attention to him? You inspect him every morning and put him to the test every moment. Psalm 139 um, is a magnificent text on the fact that God knows us. Psalm 139 says... Picking up in verse 1, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all before it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. See, there's a twofold reality there. That we are known by God. And we can know, we and that's a beautiful thing sometimes. But in the same token, the fact that God knows everything I've ever thought, said, or did is also a very sobering reality, that I do not escape his knowledge. <clears throat> and in some ways, I think that, again, points us to Jonah. That Jonah got on a ship, and it actually says in the text that he attempted to flee from the Lord's presence. You know, Spurgeon said, even godly people do dumb things sometimes. I'm paraphrasing. But Jonah should have known better. 
Jonah, of all people, should have known the extent of God's presence, of his knowledge, of his accessibility. That a ship made by man could not take him to countries where God does not reign. But nonetheless, Job, Jonah flees. He attempts to flee from his presence. In Psalm 139, Whither shall I flee from thy presence? Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Where can we go? And us as New Testament believers, we see that as, as a comfort oftentimes. Because Jesus never leaves. But for Job, this idea that you cannot escape God is, is a great terror. Because he is afflicted by God. He is in the midst of deep suffering. And he is absolutely miserable. Verse 19, Will you ever look away from me? Or leave me alone long enough to swallow, to swallow my saliva? It's such a little thing, swallowing saliva. It seems like just a small thing, but that's... Really, that, that speaks to the misery of Job. Could you give me a moment to breathe? And so one of the, the great challenges with the way we look at God is we have Job on the one hand. We got the New Testament on the other. We have the Christ who made himself known to us, who demonstrated his love and that he died for us. But we also have God who is higher than us, as evidenced by Job. And somehow we have to reconcile those two. And it's, it's not easy sometimes. It, it's hard. You, you can't fit this book on a bumper sticker. The Bible is way more complicated than a bumper sticker. It's, honestly, I think that further validates that it's true, that we can't simplify it. If we're talking about the God who made the universe, who says that his ways are higher than my ways then there's an element to where I'm going to struggle constantly to comprehend this God just as Job is struggling to comprehend God how he is revealed himself to Job in part is through suffering and we don't like talking about that we don't like asking the hard questions about God, like Job. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, watcher of humanity? The King James puts it as preserver of men. Why have you made me your target, so that I have become a burden to you? Likewise, sorry, I have a, a guest in here, a little fly or something. <clears throat> we see a similar sentiment in... Lamentations. We read the lamentation of Jeremiah, which, again, Lamentations, it's not a bunch of wedding passages. This is not the encouraging stuff that we pull out when people get married. We, when we read, He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. Ouch. 
um, yep, that's God, and that is inspired scripture. That's hard. Because I like to keep things in this cozy little box, you know, with the four walls, where I've got it all figured out, and God would never do that, and I would never believe in a God who could do that. But at the end of the day, God is free to be who he is. Unfettered by my expectations of what he should do or what he should be. And so Jeremiah writes, he pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry for help, he blocks out my prayer. He has walled in my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He forced me off my way and tore me to pieces. He has left me desolate. He strung his bow and set me as, his, as the target for his arrows. The end of Psalm 88 is possibly one of the saddest endings in the entire book of Psalms. I am alone. Darkness has become my only companion. Because sometimes life hurts. One of the beautiful things I think about God is that he is big enough to handle our triumphs and our misery. God is not all hype. He's not all kittens and pillows and soft stuff. He's not all the happy feelings. He's not just endless dopamine. But God is God when we are happy and when we are miserable. And the wrestling of Job shows us that God did not cease to be God when Job suffered. And what Job had to do for his own sake, not because God needed him to, what Job had to do for his own sake was try to grapple with the freedom of God to be God. And how that relates to Job's humanity, who Job is as, as a human, as a created being. What is a mere human? that you regard him so highly. Why have you made me your target so that I have become a burden to you? Why not forgive my sin and pardon my iniquity? For soon I will lie down in the grave. You will eagerly seek me, but I will be gone. And again, I think that is where Job is likely speaking things that are not true. <laughs> because this doesn't reflect the Old Testament understanding who God is. Now you can escape him. That's that's not the testimony of the rest of scripture. And I think Job is in some sense clinging to mistruth for a to create a false hope that if nothing else I will be rid of God in his affliction in my death. 
He will seek me but not find me. Which I think parallels with Jeremiah 29, 12. You will seek me and you will find me. But Job says, you will seek me but will not find me. I will be gone. So what do we do? How do, how do we put legs on this? And really, I think the only advice I have is to wrestle. Is to wrestle with the God who is bigger than our questions. Who is not intimidated by our doubts. <clears throat> because the same God who is the theme of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. The same God who is the theme of Psalm 23 is also the theme of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So my encouragement is to wrestle with God. The God who simply is. When Moses asked for the name for God's name went before he went to Pharaoh, God responded in the burning bush by saying, Tell him Yahweh has sent you. Which in Hebrew simply means I am who I am. Which is in that concept might have been a weird name. Might have been that's not that's not like a name name. That's not like like the Egyptian gods, their names had meaning. You look at the Babylonian gods, names had meaning. But Yahweh almost it's different. Because he's not defending himself with his name. His name is I am. The God who simply is. Who doesn't need to defend himself. Doesn't need to quantify his existence with anything. He just simply is. And whatever we do with Job, God is who he says he is. He is who he is. So ponder that this week. Who is God? Just as God was not intimidated by Job's complaints and actually dialogues with Job much later in the book. It says, prepare to answer my questions now. So this same God has made himself available to us. He's not intimidated by our questions, our laments, any more than he was intimidated by Job's. So when we go to Psalm 22, and we cry, as David did, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you rescued them. They cried to you, and were set free. They trusted in you, and were not disgraced. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he has taken pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure in my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because distress is near, and there is no one to help. This God is available to us. So let us grapple with God. In the, day, in the times that make us smile, in the times that make us cry. Through ecstatic praises and bitter tears, let us go to God. Let us commune with God. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4.